With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The Nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brevard. Alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we have some real live NFL football to talk about. We're going to be reacting to the Thursday night game between the Chiefs and the Lions. And we're also going to be asking five big questions for the rest of week one. But let's start with the first game of the season, Logan. A barn burner. A grind for both teams. What were your biggest takeaways from this? And did you feel like this gave us more cause for concern with the Chiefs or more reason to be excited about the Lions? I know there's probably going to be some uh, doomsdayers here, uh, either Chiefs fans or Patrick Mahomes haters who are going to come out here and say that the Chiefs are washed, we need to be concerned or something like that. I'm way more excited about the Lions this year after that game, man. Now, I do think there are some takeaways that we can have from this game on the Chiefs' angle uh, because this was a super close game. Uh, The Chiefs are human, Carson. I do think that. Obviously, they are without Travis Kelsey in this game. They're without Chris Jones. But I think when you're looking at the past few years, I think this is the least help that uh, Patrick Mahomes has had around him uh, Mm -hmm. throughout his career. So I think when we're looking at this down the line and what this means for future weeks and playoff implications and everything – I think this is going to be the biggest test on Patrick Mahomes' shoulders this year. You know, I mean, he persevered last year after losing Tyreek Hill with having a league average defense that was ranked uh, literally in the middle uh, in points allowed last season. Uh, And I do think that if this holdout lasts without Chris Jones, uh, I think that the Chiefs could be in some trouble. Uh, Legitimately, the Lions were able to get a really good push up front with their Uh, interior offensive line they were able to run really effectively with David Montgomery and control the clock so I think the Chiefs are human I think that it's going to be a test this year more than any other year with Patrick Mahomes at the helm to see if the Chiefs can do what they've consistently been doing the past few years winning Super Bowls getting the AFC title games but I thought the Lions had the perfect recipe to beat the Chiefs Carson first of all 
you have sustained drives and they win time of possession, right? It's a lot of grindy, grinded uh, grind out drives with David Montgomery pounding the rock, short throws. That's what you need to do against Patrick Mahomes fundamentally. He cannot have the football. They win the time of possession battle 32-27. to Second, and again, a big part of that was the Lions O-line. The second thing in that was the game-swinging play, the pick six, man. Uh, first of all, I mean, Kadarius Tony has one of the worst games I've ever seen by a player, period. I had him on my fantasy team, mm-hmm. too, Carson. I needed him to pull through for me this week. I had to bench Let's Cooper go. Cup because he's out, and he gets me a whopping one point. Thank you, Kadarius. You get the game-swinging play there, the pick six. You need to win the turnover battle against Patrick Mahomes, but more importantly, you need a momentum-shifting, game-changing play. They get the pick six. They also executed in big spots, 5 of 14 on third down. And again, you need a little bit of help. Kadarius Tony, the two biggest drops of the night. One right off his hands for the pick six, one late. Two hard drops. I mean, the Chiefs receivers all night long, you could just tell. Kel- uh, Mahomes is uncomfortable without Kelsey, without having someone reliable to go to night to night but I liked a lot uh, of what I saw to the Lions specifically the defense Carson uh, this team was ranked 32nd last season I thought Aiden Hutchinson had a great game getting pressure home like it, it felt every drive every couple of plays he was one second one half second away from really disrupting a play and getting home on Mahomes. I really liked what I saw at a rookie linebacker, Jack Campbell. The, li- uh, the Lions were weak up the middle last season. I thought he, uh, this unit did a phenomenal job of run stuffing, but also breaking up passes. He had a huge one over the middle. But the biggest addition to this Lions defense, and for me, the Lions player of the game was C.J. Gardner-Johnson, man. I thought all the pass up, uh, pass breakups he was able to make downfield. He made some big tackles. There was this one play, man, where he's being blocked by Creed Humphrey, uh, on a sweep early in this game, he bounces off of Humphrey and ends up uh, making the tackle in the backfield for a loss. Considering how bad the Lions' secondary was last season, to me, that was the uh, biggest standout player for me and the biggest addition that the Lions made in this offseason was Gardner Johnson. So, uh, again, I'm not super concerned about the Chiefs without Kelsey, without Chris Jones. And I think if we play this game 10 times, Carson, I think the Chiefs probably win this one eight times but we have that massive swing play and again the lions just executed Mm -hmm. to perfection save that marvin jones jr fumble i just think that they uh played as perfect a game as you can against mahomes without dominating offensively right they picked their spots and they just executed in big spots i i mean did you come away from this game thinking that we need to be really really concerned about the chiefs well I do have some concerns about the Chiefs, but I want to start with the Lions' performance because I don't think I was as impressed by it as you were. I definitely would not categorize this as a near-perfect game, and I understand you're saying without the offensive explosion, but at the end of the day, they are a 10-point swing caused solely by Kadarius Toney away from pretty much losing this game when you consider the ball right off his hands into the pick six and the ball that would have guaranteed the Chiefs get at least a field goal that was an easy catch that he should have made in his sleep and he blew that one as well now of course there are outlier plays in any football game right the Lions have the fumble when they're driving downfield inside the Chiefs 20 but I thought there were a few things they did really well I thought the line as we know it to be was excellent in pass protection and as you mentioned getting that push up front establishing the run game which they really committed to and between the tackles David Montgomery with his 20 plus carry night they were able to grind out 
enough first downs, and especially in the situations where they really needed it, like to end the game, for example. I will say, though, it definitely felt like an offense that was lacking in explosiveness, with the exception of Jameer Gibbs, who I thought was totally dynamic, great speed, contact balance, his twitchiness and ability to make guys miss. He had 60 yards on nine touches, and I think that his role will grow as the year goes along. He doesn't fit that pound the ball between the tackles identity as much as a David Montgomery does, but good God, I do think he's a better football player, and I think the most dynamic weapon in terms of big playability in this offense. And this Lions offense was very good last year without being super explosive. They were just tied for 11th in explosive plays, but it did feel like they needed more speed, more downfield threats on the field because even Amon Ra, as great as he is, isn't that big play threat. And the rest of the receiving core, I think, is pretty middling. So, at the end of the day, the offense put 14 points on the board, and yeah, they had another good drive into the red zone that ended in a turnover, and they weren't trying to score on their final drive, so maybe they could have done more there, but I did feel like that explosive element, the lack thereof, did limit their ceiling a bit in this game, and I also didn't think that they were as good situationally as you praise them for being. I mean, they were 5 of 15 on third. That is not very good. They were one of three on fourths, and obviously the one that they converted was the fake. And I didn't think it was a very good game from Jared Goff. I mean, he did enough, as he is prone to doing, but I thought there were several very dangerous plays. We saw the screen game get blown up on a few occasions. I didn't think that they really executed that seamlessly, and of course, he doesn't have the ability to go above and beyond and to create out of structure. He had the one nice throw out of his own end zone where he turned his back to the defense and then found, I can't even remember who the receiver was, but that didn't even result in a first down. So I wasn't impressed by the Lions offense by their standards, and defensively, I thought that they were solid. I thought Hutchinson looked very good. I thought the secondary looked solid with CJ Gardner-Johnson as that huge addition, with the exception of the last drive of the second half when they let up those back-to-back -back chunk plays. But they're also facing a terrible receiving core. Without Travis Kelsey, unquestionably the worst receiving core in all of football. They're playing Patrick Mahomes, but the dudes who they have to cover just are not good. So I don't know that we can say, oh wow, this Lions pass defense that was brutal for so much of last year is has totally decisively turned a corner. I definitely think they'll be better. This defense as a whole got better throughout last year and their personnel is now better. But I think we can only take away so much from that performance. I did like how they defended the run, though. I mean, containing the Chiefs to just outside of Mahomes, 45 yards on 17 attempts, that is certainly not... Kansas City's identity, but I thought that they made some big-time stops on the ground. So, do you feel better about the Lions right now? You have them in the NFC title game, right? Do you feel good about that prediction after week one? I definitely feel better about the Lions, and let me, be clear, about, let me be clear about the situational thing. I was saying that more defensively than anything. No, this was not a bar okay, gotcha. from the Lions offense. I just meant... It's hard as hell to get Patrick Mahomes off the field, and as much as they were able to do it on third down, it was super impressive. Uh, offensively, I think you're right. I mean, Jared Goff didn't blow the socks, you know, off of me, but I, I still have my issues with with him in this offense. It does scare me the depth of this receiving core. I like Sam Laporta and how they used him in this game. Uh, he, they line him out wide. They line him on the interior a few times. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown blew me away, dude. I think that. 
I don't know if it's a byproduct of the Lions not having any like depth in their receiving core. I think him and Golf could be a top ten uh, QB wideout duo this year. Like it just seemed like he was open all game long. But I do think you're right. Like Khalif Raymond, uh, I don't know anybody else that they can reliably go to for big plays. And Golf didn't inspire me a lot. I thought he had a lot of time. Uh, in the pocket to throw, and I thought he didn't do a lot with it. Like that one play you were talking about. Uh, I remember that one distinctly. I was screaming at the TV in the restaurant uh, because I was I was at work when I was watching it last night. I was like, golf move. He was like a statue back there on that one play, and it, I didn't feel like it was the right decision. But yeah, no, I, I liked the Lions playbook more than anything. There was a lot of deception, a lot of motion. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one misdirection with Montgomery. Uh I thought that was a clever play too. I liked how off uh, how off balance they were able to keep the Chiefs. How honest they were able to keep them with play action. Like I, I know that's a, a stereotypical answer of football, right? They established the play action. It really opened up the pass. But when you have a guy like Jared Goff who isn't a improviser like Patrick Mahomes, you have to have that alternative running game. And I thought they did a really good job of playing off that. No, Goff was not super efficient. No, he didn't make a ton of big plays, but. He made enough, and he didn't. He played mistake free. That's about what I can ask for uh, from Jared Goff. And in a tight game like this, where the margins are so so slim, that was enough. You know what I mean? And I thought they played a a very Steelers esque game, man. A lot of turn, uh, a lot of defensive stops. The one big turnover play that swings this game, and they didn't make any offensive mistakes. And ultimately, that was enough. I, I was impressed enough by their defense to have confidence. But no, Carson, you're right. This is a team that was let out by their explosive big play offense. And I guess that leads into my question for you. I mean, do you think that if this offense isn't putting up 28 a night, if they're not as great as they were last year, do you see a hard cap on this team? Like, do you think that they need to be overwhelmingly dominant offensively to be a great team this year? Absolutely. I think that they need to be a top five offense if they want to be a, a great team, if they want to be viewed as a contender. And I still think the path there is pretty tough, but I just don't see the elite unit on this defense. I don't think it's an elite overall pass rush as good as Hutchinson is. James Houston had big moments down the stretch last year. Secondaries improved, but it's coming from a pretty low point. It's a young defense. It's trending upwards, but I don't think that they are at the level of contenders yet. But hey, this is a great week one road win, obviously, regardless of how the Chiefs looked. But I do want to talk about Kansas City because this was probably their worst loss in almost two years. I mean, they haven't lost a game by more than a possession in that time. So no matter what, it's going to be close. But Last year, maybe you could argue, whatever that was, week four or five, they lost to the Colts. That wasn't a good game. But this was a rough offensive performance from the Chiefs. They had the back-to-back -back chunk plays to end that second quarter, which was, I mean, the best offensive stretch of the whole game for them, pushing the ball down the field very quickly like that, what you expect from a Mahomes-led offense. But I thought overall... He was out of sync with the receivers, and mm -hmm. they were just terrible. I mean, not only are they not creating much separation, not consistently getting open, the drops, man, just legitimately <sighs> yeah. mind-boggling. I mean, Tony has three mm -hmm. that singularly are responsible for a 10-point swing. McKinnon has the drop when Pat literally has his leg tied up and somehow is able to stay up and find the open man. And... 
I mean, if a ball was even slightly forcing these guys to adjust, they just couldn't do it. It was as bad of a receiver performance as I can think of in my life. And Tony is supposed to be the most dynamic playmaker, not the most polished route runner, but a guy who at least if you get the ball in his hands when he's wide open can make something happen. And he was just absolutely terrible. And I think the gap between Juju and these dudes looks big right now. And sure, they don't have the benefit of Travis Kelsey being the number one and demanding extra attention and two defenders over the middle of the field and all that. But it's a serious position group of regression at this point from what was already clearly a much weaker receiving core than what the Chiefs had previously. And they won the Super Bowl with that receiving core. But it was a real weak spot in this game. And I thought that Pat put the ball in dangerous spots downfield a few times, a couple balls where there were several more Lions in the vicinity than there were Chiefs. I think, again, just speaking to that disjointed dynamic between him and the receivers, he had to scramble more because those guys aren't getting open quickly enough downfield. I mean, he had a lot of success on the ground this game, but I don't know if you want him rushing six-plus times consistently. And uncharacteristically, I didn't like the play calling in this game. I thought that on that big third and one, the end around off the direct snap to Noah Gray was stupid. And I love the Chiefs play calling creativity. I think Andy Reid is the best in the world at in those third and short, fourth and short situations, drawing up something creative, often involving pre-snap motion. But I love that creativity when it puts the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands and he has the ability to extend a play to make something magic happen. It doesn't work when you are taking him out of the equation. And then I thought going for it on 4th and 25 with three timeouts and a two-minute warning from their own 30 was just stupid. I mean, I guess they're not super concerned about the Lions going and scoring, but regardless... Even if they don't, your field position is going to be significantly worse. And the probability of a 4th and 25, even with Mahomes, with how that offense looked, is really, really low. So, obviously, they need Travis Kelsey. They were lacking in both dynamic playmakers and just reliable possession guys. And without Kelsey, it's by far the worst receiving core in the league. That being said, it still was a very winnable game against a good team. And then defensively, I thought they held up pretty well. I mean... They held a good Lions offense to 14 points. I thought they were good in coverage. They did limit those explosive plays, but they didn't generate a ton of pressure and they weren't able to stop Detroit from consistently getting enough yardage to turn out those first downs to keep drives alive on the ground. So what do you think about this Chris Jones situation? Because obviously some people are just saying, oh, well, what does it matter what we saw from the Chiefs in week one? They're missing two of their three best players. How should they be approaching this situation? Because Chris Jones apparently said he hasn't talked with any members of the Chiefs front office in over a week. It seems that there is still a gap to be bridged there. He has said that he's willing to hold out through week eight and obviously is willing to hold out through a big game in week one. So what should the Chiefs do here? I think it's imperative that they get Jones and Kelsey back on the field as quickly as possible. Like, Carson, I think you laid out something that's pretty big about uh, about this Chiefs team overall, and that's that, uh, again, something we've been hammering home uh, this segment is that, I mean, there's a serious talent deficit compared to recent Chiefs teams. Like, I think they need Chris Jones up front. The Lions have a great offensive line, 
but I don't think they should have established the run as much as they did in this game. They were, again, able to pound the rock and keep it out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. Uh, again, on the other side of the field, you have no one else to go to, specifically to Chris Jones. I think it's messed up, Carson, uh, on Chris's side. And what I mean by that is uh, I'm not going to interfere with a man getting his money. If he has an issue with the team and getting paid, do whatever you need to do to go get your bag. I completely understand. The conflict here is that whenever Chris Jones does return, it's like how many games will the Chiefs have dropped when he does come back? How does that affect their standing in the playoffs, right? Uh, if they were able to get this done, uh, done before the season starts, maybe they win this game. You know, we don't know how all of these games with Chris Jones out are going to affect the Chiefs record-wise. That's my big uh, concern with Chris Jones is whenever he does return, right, will the Chiefs have dropped two games, three games? Uh, will this be the difference between them getting a first-round bye and them traveling somewhere with them hosting somebody in the first round? What are the deeper implications to Chris Jones missing timeout? Does that affect him in the locker room at all? You know what I mean? That's the only thing that I have a concern with is how, I mean, I don't know if you saw, before the before Kelsey and Jones were announced to that they were going to miss that game, Carson, the Chiefs were favored by basically 10 points. Those two players are worth three points apiece. Or, or excuse me, maybe it was, I think it was seven and a half. Excuse me. I think they were both favored by, it was one and a half for both of those players. But that's huge. For two guys to miss one game, the line swung by three entire points. That's huge for just those two guys. But I think it's, I think that's about approximate value for both of those guys. So my only concern is that if the Chiefs continue to drop games without Chris Jones, how does this affect him in the long run? I think, I mean, I think Chris Jones is still the second best defensive tackle or, I mean, up there for the best defensive tackle in football. I think you pay the man whatever he has because it, it, you got shown. You got shown in game one how much you need your best players out there on the field. I think they should pay him as soon as possible. Uh, where do you come down on this? Do you think that they should be, should the Chiefs be in dire straits to get him back on the field? I think that they do have to pay him and they're in a tough spot because this is a roster that is certainly the weakest that we've seen in the Mahomes era. And last year maybe was the most lacking before this in previous dynamic talent. And again, they still won the Super Bowl, but that wasn't an elite defense. That was the weakest group of weapons that Mahomes had had. It was a good line, but I think that this defense we have seen consistently have a below average ability to generate pressure, but without Chris Jones, I think it would be really lacking. And I thought that it was lacking in week one and it doesn't seem like he's going to budge. So he wants three years up to 84 million. That's almost 4 million less per year than Aaron Donald. It's 6 million less per year than what we just saw uh, Nick Bosa get comparing him to other guys at the position Jeffrey Simmons and Quinn and Williams are both making around 24 million so I do think you pay the guy he just had his best season ever it's not too long a commitment so I mean maybe you see some decline by the end of this contract from 28 year old Chris Jones at this point but I think that you are pretty much going to be getting him at peak value considering again he was just the best that we've ever seen him and I just don't know how they replace that talent. And yeah, maybe it seems crazy that it's like, oh, he's getting elite edge rusher money, but he is the rare 
elite disruptor as a pass rusher, as a guy who can actually bring the quarterback down from the interior, just a monstrous all-around defensive player. And if they were to trade him with an extension still pending, somebody else having to pay him that massive money, you're not going to get great value and you're not going to get anything immediately, right? It's probably going to be a pick down the line and you are trying to contend at this very moment every single season. So even if it's a slight overpay, I think you do it for a game changer of this caliber because when you take guys like that off the field, I mean, we see how lacking this roster is outside of Patrick Mahomes. And I understand that there are other positions that they need to invest at down the line. Like clearly receiver needs to be made more of a priority here. You can't just throw anybody out there with Patrick Mahomes. And I don't want to overreact because he was still great and it's one game, but it was a uniquely weak performance from the Chiefs offense. And I think that that is obviously the main reason why without Kelsey out there, but it's not a good group. It's not even close to a good group. So I would pay him. Do you think that they need to look at adding more receiver talent immediately? Maybe, dude. And like you mentioned, Patrick Mahomes was visibly frustrated with his receivers too. I mean, he is looking at Tony going, dude, catch that ball. Tony couldn't catch a cold last night. And he already wasn't playing a high percentage of the team's snaps. I think that they're going to cut his playing time. I mean, that's what I would do as a coach. I would yank him and I'd play all the other guys more. But, I mean, you look at the rest of that receiving room, Carson. I think the best receiver is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And he made an awesome catch in this game. Uh, It was a post route over the middle in a crucial situation. I believe it was a third and long. And he catches it and holds on to the football as a safety gives him a lick. I think he's got the best hands. I think he's the best receiver in that room, but that speaks a lot. MVS is their best receiver. Sky Moore didn't show me a whole lot. Rasheed Rice looked okay in a few spots. I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, I would probably explore the the veterans that are still out there, man. Like, what's Des Bryant up to nowadays, Carson? I, I would. I would... I would probably exhaust all options for Patrick Mahomes because I think it is dire, dude. I, I think that this is one of the worst receiving groups. Like, with the Titans signing DeAndre Hopkins, that's probably where I thought the worst receiving group in the league was. The Chiefs, without Kelsey, might be that group. And that's the reality of the situation, Carson. You talk about Jones not getting his money. When you hand out a 10-year, $500 million extension, this is what's going to happen, man. You're going to have to cut back, and it's going to be hard to find money to pay other receiver groups. That's what makes it so tough for teams to contend uh, to contend while paying out a, a big money contract. We're going to see this happen to the Bengals over the next couple years since they've given out all their money to Joe Burrow, right? This is just a an issue of the situation. But you make such a great point. We treat Patrick Mahomes like the ultimate piece of duct tape, like the ultimate flex seal, man. He can cover up any hole that you give him. That's not the case. Patrick Mahomes is a miracle worker. He may be the most talented quarterback that we've ever seen. He certainly is, to me, the best quarterback that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. But he is not a be-all, end-all, complete fixer. And to think that he is that, I think, is foolish to think of one football player. Patrick Mahomes may have the greatest gravity of any football player ever. But he is not a complete overhaul game changer where he can make up for such a bad receiving core and such a talentless defense so yeah man I think the conclusion after week one is you need to get Kelsey healthy you need to find more receiving talent and you have to pay Chris Jones or I don't think the Chiefs have a prayer at winning a title man 
Yeah, but I do still think that all things considered, <laughs> they probably still deserve to be the favorite in the AFC when those two players are back out there. But I am concerned about this group, and I understand that it's easy to just dismiss Juju and say, oh, well, I mean, anybody would be productive with Patrick Mahomes, and obviously he's not their actual number one. But at the end of the day, that was a dude who he targeted the most in the Super Bowl, who had the most catches in the Super Bowl. And you look at a game like this, he targets 12 different guys. Nobody's targeted more than five times. It's just very clear that there is no reliable dude who he has that sort of faith in, nor should he, outside of Travis Kelsey, which is a big caveat. But I don't really know what the move they can make is because people are talking about the Mike Evans potential for a trade, but that comes with having to pay him. And I don't think that they want to spend like that at the receiver position on an aging receiver if they're questioning paying Chris Jones, obviously the centerpiece of their defense, at his absolute peak right now. So we'll see if Rasheed Rice can grow into his game. I'm not super high on Sky Moore. I think it's I think it's a bad group outside of Kelsey, and that is concerning to me. But I will not be the dude who overreacts to week one, especially considering the absences. It's just Patrick Mahomes, man. I mean, yeah, he may not be able to fix literally everything, but he is certainly the closest to being able to do that that we've ever seen. So we'll see how the Chiefs bounce back. We'll see when Kelsey can get healthy and we'll see how they handle this Chris Jones situation. Let's talk about what's coming up, Logan. Five big questions for week one. We'll start... If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
with another elite AFC West quarterback. Because as we all remember, there was a fun little Tua Herbert debate that broke out last year, being from the same draft class, that has now gone up in the Hall of Shame alongside other debates such as, is Kyle Kuzma or Jason Tatum better? Jokic and Bede, some might put in that conversation now. They're facing off again in week one here. Does the gap between the two of them grow even more this year? Or does Tua prove that he is a legitimate top 10 guy, maybe even get a little bit closer to the Herbert tier? I think Tua is going to have a good year. Uh, I, I like what the Dolphins have done, but and I really like his situation. I think the gap is going to be massive at the end of this season. And I don't get it, man. To me, Justin Herbert is one of the most unwarranted hated athletes uh, mm -hmm. in sports today especially at the quarterback position in the NFL and I think there's a lot of guys that fall into this territory like like Dak right for example we bring him up all the time just because he's the Dallas Cowboys quarterback people are going to find a, a way to hate on Dak I think Herbert is just gets a massive amount of hate I guess because he's young and good and he hasn't won a whole lot. I mean, you have obviously the disastrous playoff performance last year against the Jaguars with the blown lead that I think that's probably going to weigh over his head until he can get that monkey off his back and win a playoff game. But, I mean, solely attributing the Chargers losing games to him is such a bad argument, in my opinion, and the majority reason of why he gets so much hate. Oh, he puts up these gaudy numbers. Oh, but he still loses. I mean, Herbert's in such a bad situation with a uh, a subpar offensive line for a while uh, with, that was beat up last year with no running game, with a bad defense. I think Herbert's been excellent for three years running now uh, since he mm -hmm. entered the league. And I think Herbert's going to be one of the six, seven best quarterbacks in the NFL again this season. Again, there's disparity every year, so I don't know where he's going to land among those guys. But I think Herbert's going to be somewhere in that seven to five range. And I don't think Tua is all that. I like Tua a lot, man. But I think Herbert, with new weapons, you bring in Quentin Johnson, man. You bring in uh, uh, another TCU kid here. Uh, you've got Keenan Allen back. You've got Mike Williams, hopefully with good health. The offensive line is healthy this year. Uh, you've got a new offensive coordinator in and Kellen Moore. Uh, and I think that's really going to open up the vertical passing game for Herbert this year. Mm -hmm. This is a guy that didn't attack downfield because Lombardi was running the offense. It was a lot of checkdowns to Austin Eckler. I think that changes. I think it's going to be a more nuanced offensive attack that attacks downfield a lot more often. But also in that, I think if we're looking at this game, Carson, I think Herbert's going to eat. Like, uh, the Dolphins' secondary without Jalen Ramsey does not inspire a whole lot of confidence in me. So I think in this game, I think Herbert's going to eat, and I think down the rest of this season, I think it's going to be a big season for Herbert, hopefully where the haters can get off his back with another prolific, prolific year. And then Tua, I don't know what you think about Tua Carson. I think he's accurate. I think he's really good at spotting balls in certain situations on out routes. I think he's really, really accurate. And I think he's got a lot of talent around him. The offensive line, the running game that they have here, uh, the uh, overwhelming amount of receiving talent in Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I think mm -hmm. they've done what they can to maximize Tua. But me personally, I've never understood how this was a debate. I think there are levels to the QB position, and I think there are levels to these guys. I think Tua is about a borderline league average QB because he has real limitations. He's not an elite scrambler or play extender. Uh, he struggled to stay healthy. He's not. He doesn't have an elite arm where he can really, really highly attack downfield. 
I think Tua is really limited in those ways that Herbert isn't. Herbert's an elite play extender. He's great mobility-wise. He's got a cannon arm. He's super accurate. Uh, and now he's got a new offensive coordinator that's going to play to his strengths with new healthy receiving talent. I mean, oh my God, dude. I mean, this is a no-brainer. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I-, I think the gap between Herbert and Tua is pretty gaping now, and I think it's going to continue to grow as Herbert balls out this season. Uh, where do you come down on all this? I agree completely, but I do want to ask first, you say that you think Herbert is in like the top five to seven range for quarterbacks this year. Who's the fourth guy above him after Mahomes, Allen, Burrow? So yeah, Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen are my top three guys. And I'd say contending with Herbert for that four spot. I'd say Herbert has it right now. uh, But again, we don't know how guys are going to play. I'd say competing with him uh, hurts. Mm-hmm. I'd say Trevor Lawrence, Lamar Jackson, and probably Aaron Rodgers are all competing with him for that spot. Yeah, I would agree that those are the next four, but I do think that Herbert is the best of that group. And I think that in terms of pure talent, he is separated from them. And this year, his production wasn't at another level, but that is in a brutal situation with Really poor weapons considering the injuries with a limiting offensive approach. So I think the gap is only going to grow. And I can tell you why Herbert is so often overhated and why people did try to make this a conversation. It's because we are obsessed with team results in a sport in which one player can only have so much of an impact on team success. Like, first of all, Justin Herbert has led his teams to winning records the last couple years but if you look at the 2021 season he leads them to be a clear top five offense right despite a suboptimal run game and offensive line and not overwhelmingly talented weapons but they have one of the worst defenses in the league so they miss the playoffs it's that simple and last year he wasn't quite as productive but again i think we can attribute that to the external factors that we just mentioned meanwhile tua comes out he's got a great offensive mind he has two undeniably top 10 receivers in football and sure he's able to produce dynamic offense in that context but just imagine if you gave justin herbert those guys and there are the tropes that people will try to apply to the uber athletic crazy talented big strong strong arm quarterback to say well this guy maybe makes a lot of mistakes but that's just not true with Herbert and people try to explain away the fact that he's just that much better if you look at the two of them in a vacuum and again I do think that that debate has been pretty much decided now and then of course there's the people who I think exaggerate their position of criticizing Herbert even more because they feel like other people make it as though he's infallible and everything about his situation is wrong and he's so perfect individually which I do think the situation is important to acknowledge. I also don't think that the guy is Patrick Mahomes. But with a more aggressive offensive coordinator, with healthier weapons and better weapons, adding Quentin Johnston, and yeah, specifically in this week, this Dolphins pass defense struggled last year, not adding Ramsey. I don't see them being better. And on the flip side, Tua really struggled in his final four games last year. And I have said before that I am lower on Tua than most. I think that we saw some of that regression within this past season but again I think if he's not in an exceptional situation we know the level that he produces at and sure he got better through years two and three but I don't know that he got that much better individually from the guy that after year two people were saying hey 
Uh, he's a fringe NFL starter. I don't think this guy is going to be in Miami for that much longer. His situation just got way, way better. He is accurate, but as you said, totally limited as a creator. I think his arm talent is totally underwhelming to me. There's nothing he does at an elite level. Even his decision-making, I mean, he makes mistakes. We've seen him turn the ball over at a, a decent clip, an interception rate of 2% or higher each of the last two seasons. Certainly turning the ball over more than what Justin Herbert is doing on a per-pass basis. So, yeah, it's not even close to being close. And I do think the gap is only going to grow this year because I think Tua isn't going to have the same insane hot-out-the-gate start that he did last year. Okay, let's stick with some young quarterback talk here because we've got three big-time rookie quarterbacks debuting here in Week 1. Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud. Who do you think has the best game? First of all, dear Lord, have mercy on C.J. Stroud's soul, man. That is a miserable, miserable first game to have to go play. In mm-hmm. ball, or to play Baltimore your first game out, I I think the Ravens are going to roll over the Texans, and I think that might be an ugly game. So I hope Stroud holds up. Uh, I hope that the Texans line can hold up in front of him. I think that is a brutal first matchup. And I think Bryce Young, Carson, is a comical first matchup against the Falcons because I look at the Falcons' D-line, I mean, he's going to be go matched up against Grady Jarrett, who's 335 pounds and probably eats Bryce Young for breakfast. And then he's going to be side-by-side side with Calais Campbell, who's six foot eight. So there's just going to be these mammoths uh, surrounding mm-hmm. Bryce Young. And I like the improvements that the Falcons have made defensively. So surprisingly, I think I'm going to take the least pro-ready quarterback uh, out of this field. Like Anthony Richardson has not instilled a lot of faith in me as a passer, I think it is going to be a very rough rookie season in terms of uh, Richardson making progressions, going through his reads on the field, straight up reading defenses because of how inexperienced he is, decision making, uh, you know what I mean, uh, in terms of forcing balls, uh, and again, that comes with reading the field too. I think it could be a very, very long passing season for Anthony Richardson. But you look at this first matchup, and he's got the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I don't think really stick out to me and dominate any position group defensively. Uh, as a pass rush, I mean, you've got Josh Allen, who I think is really, really talented. But there's no group that really I look at and say that Richardson could get dominated by. And I think the Colts are going to set up an offensive system that's going to be Pretty simplified for Richardson, but also run heavy and is going to lean heavy into what he does well as a a mobile quarterback. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So this has a lot to do with matchups. Stroud versus the Ravens, I'm not going to take Young. Uh, (laughs) I just think it's going to struggle this year because how small he is uh, against NFL defenses, and I don't like the situation. I really don't like the offensive line in front of Bryce Young. So I think the Colts are going to simplify the game plan for Richardson, and I think he can be... Uh, pretty effective on the ground, even as a rookie. So I'm not saying that Anthony Richardson oh, yeah. comes out here against the Jaguars and gets the dub, but I think three touchdowns, keeping them in a competitive game and making some big plays, I think is very possible for Richardson. But I'm not really expecting a ton from him through the air, uh, just because I think he has a really far way to come as a passer. I think we're in for three pretty rocky <laughs> debuts honestly (laughs) I don't like the matchups for any of these guys like you said dude I would hate to have to face the Ravens defense in my debut with the sort of offensive talent that CJ Stroud has and I do think 
he's quite good and he is pro ready with his accuracy, with his decision making. I mean, just legitimately excellent at placing the ball, but that's tough. He's going to be facing an elite secondary, elite coverage linebackers, and a pass rush that can get after him. I think that that's going to be pretty tough for a week one rookie debut. And Bryce Young, I feel, is the most ready here and is probably facing the least frightening defense. I mean, I think that the Falcons will be better. I think that's a solid defense. I also think the Jaguars defense is solid. Neither is in that real upper echelon to me. But DJ Chark and Adam Thielen are both questionable and missed practice. And if those dudes don't play then that is a brutal situation to be in. Those weapons get real rough, and I actually kind of like those two and how they looked with Young in preseason, reliable guys. But if he can't lean on them, I don't know. I love his pocket presence, his ability to remain poised, his pocket footwork. I think his accuracy is really good too. I mean, he is the kind of guy who you think you can drop in a situation and he's not just gonna collapse. But that's a pretty tough spot. So... I mean, at least Anthony Richardson doesn't have crazy external circumstances like that working against him. And although I agree, he is certainly a project. And this is what happens with any raw thrower of the football who has a cannon of an arm and this great athletic portfolio, but struggles with accuracy and polish. We saw it with Lamar Jackson. We saw it with Josh Allen. Those dudes just can't come into the league and immediately be effective throwers of the football. But what they can do is weaponize their athleticism from the jump. And I think that that's what Richardson can do. I think he can impose himself physically enough on the ground to where he probably has the highest floor of these three in this game. I don't know, though. I mean, if he airs out a couple balls, if he makes an inexcusable decision or two, things could go south fast. I think it's going to be rough all around. If Bryce Young has his receivers, even one of the two of them, I would go with him. But, I mean, if he is trotting out, you know, that group of Panthers receivers, I think that uh, that's just a really rough situation to be in. Okay. Logan, your Pittsburgh Steelers are taking on the San Francisco 49ers in a battle of strong defenses. Nick Bosa now officially extended, so coming back for the Niners in week one. Which defense looks better in this matchup? This is a great question, a great question. Also, I'm so pumped for this one, dude. I think this might be the best game on the week one slate when we're talking about figuring out what teams look like like i think people look at both of these teams as playoff contenders majority of people i know you don't have the steelers making the playoffs this year but i don't think playoff contenders but they could like i think that's what i'm saying i think the steelers will be uh, towards year's end at least competing for one of those uh last playoff spots it's a double-edged sword for me in picking this one carson because i like both of these defenses a lot i'm gonna say pittsburgh because i think tj watt is the most game-changing player in football, save Pat Mahomes. Uh, I gave a lot of the numbers out over these past couple weeks. Again, uh, 17 points allowed with TJ, 25 without. The takeaway numbers are egregiously different. He's just... uh, TJ exerts a pressure on the game that I've never seen another player exert. He's so great at beating his man at the line every single snap, getting home, getting pressure, He's just a game-changing talent. Now, the Steelers might be without Larry Ogunjobi uh, in the middle. I think that is a big loss, especially against the Niners' rushing attack. 
Ogunjobi has been phenomenal for us. Cam Hayward apparently has had a stomach bug the past couple of days too. So look, if the Steelers are missing Ogunjobi and Cam Hayward, I think that is cause for concern. And I think the Niners probably look better because those are our best two interior defenders. But I like what we've done on the in, uh, uh, with our linebacking core. We had Cole Holcomb from Washington. I think he's going to be a really good player. And again, our secondary, I expect to, uh, to get back to elite status. Minka Fitzpatrick's the best de- defensive back in football. Uh, PZ Jr. is going to be probably lining up in the slot with Patrick Peterson. Peterson is a much-needed addition after losing Hayden two seasons ago and Cam Sutton last year. I just really like the Steelers' defense this year. I think they're going to be top 10, but the Niners are going to be good too. And the reason that you might go with the Niners over the Steelers in this game, I'll go ahead and give it to you. It's because Dan Moore Jr. is going to be lining up on the left side. Uh, is phenomenal. is a beast. Dan Moore Jr. sucks. So if we're looking at one matchup where the Niners are really heavily favored, it's Dan Moore. The only guy that Dan Moore has been able to effectively stop on the outside is Miles Garrett. For some reason, that's the only matchup in the NFL that he has been able to win. Everybody else has killed Dan Moore, and every Steelers game, he scares me that he is going to get Kenny Pickett decapitated. So, for that reason, maybe the Niners look better because Dan Moore is an absolute bum on the outside. But there's a lot else to like about the Niners' defense, too. Fred Warner, obviously, in the middle. Javon Kinlaw in the interior. Javon Hargrave going up against his former team. The Niners' pass rush could eat in this game because they have great position players where the Steelers are the weakest. Like I said, Dan Moore on the outside against Bosa. On the interior, that's where our biggest question marks are, too. I don't like Mason Cole at center. I think that guy sucks, too. James Daniels is okay. Isaac Sumalo, I like a lot. But again, when you're looking at the position group matchup straight up, these are three league average to below average players in Daniels, Cole, and Dan Moore against Kinlaw, Hargrave, and Bosa. All those guys are above average to elite players at their position. So I'm tentatively going to go with the Steelers, but look, I'm not going to act like the Niners don't have real, real advantages uh, defensively in this game. Yeah, I think that I'm going to go with the Niners here. And both teams have pretty high defensive ceilings. But I do think the Niners are the more talented team on paper. And this was a historically great defense last year. The number one scoring defense in football. Second against the run. Second in turnovers forced. Now, they add Hargrave, an elite pass rusher from the interior. The only real concern with this defense last year was the number two corner spot, which remains a concern, but that didn't inhibit them from being an elite defense. I think that they've had to compromise a little bit of their depth defensively, but that shouldn't factor in too much week one. I just think this is a dominant, dominant unit. And although I still have the utmost respect for any Steelers defense let out there by TJ Watt, I just don't think that they have the same sort of elite all-around talent uh, in the secondary, for example. Although I do think that they progressed. I know that you really like the Pat Pete and the uh, PZ Jr. additions, but compared to like uh, the 2020 defense, which I feel like was really, truly elite. So I think, I mean, it's uncontroversial. The Niners defense is crazy talented. I do think they'll be better, but these should definitely both be top 10 defenses what are your thoughts on the Bosa extension while we're here? Because it's five years, $170 million, potentially $22.5 million guaranteed per year. 
Was that the right move for the Niners to give him that kind of money? I think you got to. It's the second most important position in football, right? These guys are inherently going to get paid a lot of money. It's not as much as Watt. It's not as much as Donald. You know, I think it's appropriate. The one issue you might have with it is uh, Nick Bosa consistently staying healthy, right? That might be your one concern about paying him, but I think you got to do it. I mean, he's one of the 10 best pass rushers in football, right? Those guys are invaluable to your team. Uh, and he's been a building block of this defense, too. I didn't even mention uh, Drake Greenlaw, uh, another you know awesome cog in this Niners defense, too. Yeah, I think it's the right move. Um, and you don't want to, I don't know, you don't want to disgruntle those guys. You don't want to keep them held out. Uh, the one thing I'd be nervous about is Nick Bosa maybe flexing his money to fans now, dude. He's probably going to be egregious walking off the... Uh, walking off the team bus in the game tunnels, man, dude. He's just going to be making it rain on him now that he's got this big contract. Uh, it's the right thing to do, man. I, I think he's one of the handful of best pass rushers in football. And if you trust him to stay healthy, which is probably my only concern, yeah, dude, you got to pay these guys. That's why I think the Chiefs holdout is so dumb. If you have the money to pay Chris Jones, if that is not a concern, man, just, just dig in your pockets and give it to him. It's These guys are mm-hmm. invaluable to your team. So I think the Niners made the right move. Well, I do want to be clear, this is the biggest contract that we've seen for a defensive player. And also, I mean, if we're calling him one of the 10 best pass rushers in the league, what are we doing? I mean, he is clearly in that absolute top tier with TJ Watt, with Miles Garrett. He was reigning defensive player of the year for a reason. I think he's a monster. Obviously, he's young, and I don't think that they really had a choice here. I think that the most valuable pass rushers in football are clearly the second most valuable archetype only to the legitimately great quarterbacks and people pay average quarterbacks bigger money than this. Like Daniel Jones has a four year, $160 million deal with 20 and a half million guaranteed per year, pretty comparable all around to what Bosa just got. Who would you rather have? I would straight up rather have Nick Bosa. I think that he is such a game changer defensively. When he has been on the field, the Niners have been elite. The 2020 season when he was hurt, I mean, admittedly, the entire Niners team was hurt, but they they really regressed, and he's playing his best football now and should be for the wow. foreseeable future. That's a lot yeah. of money to pay out. I didn't know that was the most annual. I thought it was 24. Uh, that's a lot of money to pay out to a guy, but yeah, like you said, dude, I mean, wait. I don't want to. I don't want to make him mad, and I certainly don't want to like let him walk. I think it's, I think it's the right move. If you're going to pay Dak or DJ forty mil, dude, go out and get you an actual game changing player. All right, which week one game are you most excited for, Logan? It's got to be Bills Jets, man. I'm fired up about Bills Jets. One, I'm just fired up that the NFL season is back. I felt like a piece of me was missing in the off season, dude. Uh, and it just feels right that we're back for ball. But you've got a divisional matchup between two divisional rivals. Obviously, this this means a lot. But it's a real test for both teams. Josh Allen going up against a legitimate defense, who I think has one of the best pass rushes in football. Uh, they're talking, their team's talking about they could be the 85 Bears, the 2013 Seahawks. Let's see it, New York. I want to see what the Jets defense actually has in store. On the flip side, too, Rodgers going up against, uh, again, not only a divisional rival, but a legit contender uh, that should be competing for a Super Bowl potentially at the end of the season with a great defense. Now, the Bills are going to be without Von Miller. That sucks. Uh, I'd like to see both these teams at full health so we can really see what they're about. They lost Tremaine Edmonds. It's going to be interesting to see how they look in the middle with Matt Milano and a new interior linebacker, but 
Another thing about this game that I think is interesting, Carson, Josh Allen on Monday Night Football, over 300 passing yards per game, 16 touchdowns to one pick in his career, a 119.7 passer rating, and a 70% completion percentage. Like, Allen is an elite primetime performer, so I want to see if he can keep that going on Monday Night Football. But Rodgers and the Big Apple, the battle for New York, a divisional matchup, two elite teams, two elite quarterbacks, two elite defenses. I'm fired up. I know you are since that's your team. Is that the matchup you're most fired up for too this week? Yeah, I think it has to be. And I think that there is a good amount that we can learn about both these teams, certainly more about the Jets because, I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers is the key here and seeing how the synergy looks for them offensively, his dynamics with the receivers, the level that he is able to reach against the damn good defense coming out in week one. But how much can he bounce back from a down year? I also think the offensive line is a pretty legitimate question mark for both of these teams. And it's going to be important to see how they hold up against good defensive fronts, good pass rushes. I don't know if the Bills are elite there, but I think that this is going to be their best unit overall with the development of some of the young guys. And so I think that those are going to be determining factors in, all right, are these good playoff teams or are these legitimate Super Bowl contenders? Because I do think that that is the biggest thing that could limit both of these teams. But yeah, of course, I mean, you can't beat the aura around this game. An elite quarterback matchup, two teams with absolute Super Bowl hopes. Aaron Rodgers in a new situation. I don't think that there's a bigger game than this this week at all. Who would you take in this game? I'm taking the J-E-T-S, Jets, hmm. Jets, hmm. Jets, baby. I've still been sipping on that Kool-Aid mm-hmm. even I after I was already on it this past week, man. I'm I'm fired up. I don't like t- picking against Josh Allen personally, but I'm taking the Jets. I'm I'm all on the train this year, man. I'm I'm riding with them all the way. I do think you're right, though. I think that this battle is going to – we're going to learn a lot about the offensive lines of this team, right? Like, the Bills' pass rush is an elite, and I think that matters. Like, if the Bills are able to get pressure home, I mean, a lot of teams, I think, are going to be able to get pressure home. On the flip side of that, are the Bills going to be able to withstand an elite pass rush, right? Uh, The Chiefs with Chris Jones are going to be better. The Bengals uh, have a pretty good pass rush, too, right? The Jags with Josh Allen – I don't think any of those teams uh, compare to New York's pass rush. So if Buffalo can hold up against New York, I think that bodes well for the rest of the season. But if New York's able to get home a lot and Josh Allen's scrambling for his life, I think that is a cause for concern the rest of the season. I'm rocking with the Jets. Are you going to take your bills? I am because I think that they have really proven themselves to be able to produce elite offense so so consistently and you can't overvalue what they've done over the last three years there and I do like the weapons room bringing in Dalton Kincaid I do think it's their best running back room yet with Damian Harris and James Cook the line is a big concern but Josh is as well equipped as anybody other than Patrick Mahomes to overcome poor line play with his unbelievable play extension and just creation outside the pocket, what he can do on the ground. I think it's pretty optimistic to see the Jets coming out week one and beating an elite, elite football team like this. Micah Hyde is hurt, and it's unclear if he's going to play. And obviously the Bills' defense loses Tremaine Edmonds from last year, but I do still think that's a pretty uh, good secondary. That's a pretty damn good defense overall. Not the easiest to 
move the ball downfield on. So I think that the Bills are going to come out and take that. And I do think they're the best team in this division. But it's not by much. And I do buy into the Jets. Not as much as you, but I do think they're going to be really good. Okay, last big question here for week one. Another big time, prime time divisional showdown. Who's got more to prove, Logan? The Cowboys or the Giants? I'm going to say for this game specifically, the New York Giants, uh, for a, a few reasons. The one big reason is uh, the Giants actually have not defeated Dak Prescott in uh, since 2016. They have lost 10 straight games uh, to the Cowboys. And I don't know if the Cowboys have anything more to show us in the regular season. I touched on this last episode in our you know, final season preview, right? This defense is elite last year. They were fifth in points allowed. They led the NFL in takeaways and pressure rate. I think they got better with the additions they made in the offseason. And, I mean, outside of Mike McCarthy calling plays and proving he can be a, comp, a, you know, a competent offensive coordinator again, I don't really have a whole lot of regular season questions about the Cowboys. I think they're going to be a really good team mm-hmm. this year. They need to show me what they can do in the playoffs. The Giants, on the other hand, maybe kind of fluky last year, right? They didn't, they weren't really a great team during the regular season. Daniel Jones had to completely turn around his career to be an average quarterback and to not make mistakes, which he did really effectively. I'll give DJ his credit, but it's one year, right? And that's with an elite running game, an offensive line that really improved, and with a pretty good defense. So I think year two of Brian Dable. I think for this season and in this game, the Giants have more to prove. Uh, Like I said against the Cowboys, their track record isn't great, but specifically to the rest of this season, yeah, I think Daniel Jones has to prove again that he can be not only an average quarterback, but an above-average quarterback that can make big-time plays now that he has playmakers in the room. I think this defense needs to prove that they can be elite. These edge rushers are healthy. Ajilari, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Leonard Williams, like I think that this defense just needs to prove that they can be great. I like their secondary too, adding Deontay Banks. What we saw out of McKinney down the stretch, what we saw out of Adoree Jackson down the stretch. The Giants just need to prove that they can do it consistently. They looked great at points last year. Position groups looked great at points last year, but can they do it year in, year out? For me, I don't know. I think the Big Blue are one of the teams with the most to prove out of anybody in the NFL this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think, Carson? I agree. I mean, I couldn't have said it better about the Cowboys. They can't really prove anything until the playoffs. Like, if they were not an 11-12 win team, that would be a surprise. They've won 12 games in back-to-back years. Everything is resting on what can they do in terms of a meaningful playoff run? What level can Dak reach? Can Mike McCarthy keep from shooting themselves in the foot? That's where they are going to have to prove anything at all. But yeah, the Giants have a lot to prove because a lot of people have tagged them as a regression candidate. Negative point differential last year. They won just three of their last 10 regular season games after that 7-2 and two start. That was very, very surprising because a lot of people thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in football they really struggled in the regular season against teams above 500 just two and seven in those games so they have to prove that that was not a fluke i do think they're more talented this year and that they can build on that you mentioned the new weapons darren waller bringing in jalen hyatt really nobody has more to prove than danny dimes because he has the massive contract 
He is a very divisive quarterback in terms of people's evaluation of him, and he has to show that the progress from last year was real, that he can limit mistakes. We know that he can make plays on the ground with his legs, but can he push the ball downfield as we saw at some points down the home stretch of last season, and can he keep from giving the ball away, which he so consistently struggled in the first two years of his career? Giants, I agree, have as much to prove as anybody in football, and I do think that this is a better football team than last year. I don't know if the results mm-hmm. will speak to that. Like, I wouldn't pick them to win a playoff game again this year, but I do think it's a better football team. So, there you go, everybody. Week one, getting underway. This is an incredibly fun time of the sports year after these months of revisiting all-time conversations and all of that, which is great, and I love. It is awesome to have real exciting football to talk about, and it's a good slate of games for this week. I think there's a lot to be excited about. Good divisional matchups, potential playoff teams clashing. So we will be dialed in for that, of course, and then we will be back Monday morning with our breakdown of the weekend's action. So if you enjoyed this, the good news is there's always more Nerd Sesh content. You can follow us on TikTok at Nerd Sesh. Instagram is the same handle. Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can join our Discord. That is at the link tree in all of our social media bios where you can also get some Nerd Sesh merch. You see the flags behind us. Logan's got the hat. We've got hoodies. We've got shirts. So you can check all of that out. And of course, if you enjoyed the content, you can subscribe to the Volume YouTube page to get all of our shows with video, and you can listen to the podcast across audio platforms. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.